This is The Wealth Puzzle with Michael Mansfield from The Lynn Group. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Michael provides his clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, Retirement Income Planning, Wealth Management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now, here is The Wealth Puzzle with Michael Mansfield. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. This is Mike Mansfield. You're listening to The Wealth Puzzle or you're watching The Wealth Puzzle, whether this is on the podcast or you're on YouTube or Rumble viewing this. Um, Unfortunately, bad news for everybody. This is another solo flight, so I'm down to business. We're going to be kind of talking some shop today here. Uh, I'm a little late on getting the video done this week. That's because I wanted to wait for Wednesday. Wednesday was the Fed's rate announcement. I just literally got done here watching um, the President Powell discussing inflation, rate increases, all that kind of stuff. We're now watching the stock market go down because, as usual, the rate announcement made the market go up, and then they love to open their mouths and start talking about stuff and scare the heck out of everybody. So we'll keep watching it. So if I seem a little ho-hum, it's because I just got done with that. Anybody who watches uh, Federal Reserve conferences on TV. You can understand how climactic that is, but Hey, got a lot to talk about today. Um, you know, you probably kind of caught from the title of the show. You get what you vote for, you know, and this is an interesting topic. This is something that, you know, as we meet with clients and deal with finances and economics and their taxes and all the individual things that impact people, a lot of this, unfortunately, does fall back to politics. And I'm not here today to bash you on politics or give you opinions. I'm only here to kind of state the obvious. And, you know, my approach when it comes to politics is it's really math. It's really economics. That's all I truly care about. My goal for my client's well-being is to make sure that we understand the rules and the guidelines and the things that are happening to us so that we can make good, informed decisions that are effective. And In the title here, you can probably see this on the screen if you're watching this, I I said, we're living with self-inflicted wounds. And and what I mean is I I think about my six-year-old. I've got four daughters. Many of you know that, uh, all pretty little ladies. And my six-year-old recently fell down and she scraped her knee. And the problem is, is she's a little fidgety little person and she keeps picking at it and she picks at it at night when she's in bed. So we put her in bed thinking she goes to bed. She's in there picking at her knee. So every morning there's a little blood in the bed because she picked her knee in the sheets, which is not fun. Um, but it won't heal. And she keeps picking the thing. And I keep saying, honey, if you don't leave it alone and let it heal, it's not going to get any better. And then on top of that, if you fester this thing too long, it's going to scar and you're not going to be happy with that. And the reality is the things that are happening right now the inflation, the gas prices, the things that are really weighing on us. Because like I said, my my consumers, my clients are my priority. I love them. I care about them. I'm concerned about them. I hear about what people are paying for gas all day long. I hear about the shock when people go to the market and buy things or want to travel to see their kids. The things that we're dealing with at this point are all self-inflicted wounds that we've created, mainly through our government. 
There are things that we keep festering. We kind of keep picking the wound. We're not letting it heal. We're not letting it get any better. And so hopefully that works as a good analogy for the theme of what I want to kind of speak about. So uh, priority one. Now, obviously, I'm not going to cover all things, all topics. I just picked a handful of what I felt were focusing on my clients' needs, the things where I hear a lot of concern. Um, obviously, inflation being number one. So we're at 40-year highs of inflation, right? We haven't seen inflation like this in our economy since the 70s and early 80s. Um, there's a lot of cause and effect to it. But the reality is inflation is a monetary phenomenon created by the government. The Federal Reserve was created over 100 years ago with a simple mandate of controlling the money supply. And the whole premise of the Federal Reserve was if the economy is expanding, you can expand the money supply. If the economy is contracting, you can contract the money supply. And by doing that, you control the price of goods and services. And so, so much of this is manifest in what we call our money supply. Um, they, they reference it mainly as what's called M2 money supply. So if you're watching this on YouTube or Rumble, you see the chart in front of you. This is our U.S. money supply. It's dated in the chart all the way back to 1960. And if you look at this, you notice something. And I've touched on this and harped on this perhaps a number of times. So everyone's probably heard this already. The money supply has very slowly and consistently grown for a long period of time with a growth rate kind of around 5.5% annually. In 2020, when COVID hit, in two years, we expanded our money supply, the money in people's pockets by 40%. If you're looking at the chart, all of a sudden the chart turns up and goes up like a missile. And step one, you know, everybody's guilty of this up front. No one knew what was going on with COVID. It was chaotic, you know, so they started giving money to people to try to help the cause. But by January of 21, the federal government was still involved. Remember, in 21, if anyone recalls, that's when the vaccines were rolling out. That should have been the, the, the point where the government said, hey, we've done our part. We've created these vaccines. We've created the solutions. We need to let the economy get back to normal. Instead, the government continued to spend a lot of money through the um, American Rescue Plan and things like that to push more money into the economy. And so we've had this massive expansion in the money supply. And if anybody wants to go back to Econ 101 or Google the definition of M2 or money supply, you're going to see that it's very obvious when it slaps you in the face. It says, if you expand this number a lot, the cost of goods and service will go up a lot. So if that's obvious Econ 101, I'm very concerned or confused perhaps on why the government doesn't seem to know this or understand this. Why don't they look at this chart? I mean, heck, I was just watching uh, Pal talking. Did they talk about the money supply with the inflation issue? No. Did a single person ask him a question about the money supply? No. You know, and so I don't know why this is some hidden ugly truth when the reality is, is this probably causes, who knows, probably 80% of our inflation issues is because of this massive expansion of money supply. So it's very frustrating as an advisor trying to help my clients to look at these bigger things that the government is supposed to be managing on our behalf. That's what we hired them to do. And unfortunately, it's not happening well. Um, and here it is now. So here's all the spending that we've come up with in the last 18 months. In 18 months, a broke government, $30 trillion in debt. All of our credit cards are maxed out, all this kind of stuff. We've come up with over $4 trillion of excessive spending. There was the American Rescue Plan. That's in red and it's in bold because it's already happened and money is already being injected into the system. The infrastructure bill, that was back in September of 2021. That's already enacted. That's already money being injected into the system. 
The reason that this is relevant of why I point out those two first is those are already starting to work. Those are already putting money into the system. It's already giving people more M2 money supply and creating more inflation. The other ones I put on here, the CHIPS Act, the ah, tongue tied, the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, even the student debt relief. These are things that are now just being worked out right now. This money hasn't entered any systems. It hasn't done anything. But remember, the concept of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. And if you put more dollars in the system to chase the goods, there's going to be inflation. Prices will go up. Student debt relief is a perfect example of that. On a very high fund level, if we wanted to pay off, you know, our kids' credit cards or pay off people's student debt, that's that's a very nice, noble thought. But if you came to me as a consumer and you said, Mike, I want to help my kids out. I want to give them ten thousand um, dollars. I have a hundred thousand dollars on my credit card. What do you think? I would say, my goodness, you're not really in the financial position to be doing these fun things and helping other people when you can't even really help yourself at this point. Unfortunately, that's kind of where the government's at, right? We have massive amounts of debt. We have all kinds of issues. And here we are paying off things that we can't really afford at the moment. Doesn't mean we couldn't down the road if we improve some stuff. And so the issue is, well, how does student debt relief equate back into inflation? So think about that student that's supposed to be making a $200, a $300, a $500, a $1,000. I don't really care what it is. A payment to their student loans. If the government leaves them of those obligations, that individual now has that two, three, five hundred bucks, whatever it is, a month to now go to Amazon and go to Target and go to Walmart and go on a cruise and go do whatever they want with that money. And that's going to put further pressure on our supplies, forcing prices to go up. Everything is about how many dollars are chasing the goods. So this is very overwhelming that the government just keeps coming up with these giant, massive monster things. I mean, you can see the price tag on this. The American Rescue Plan was almost $2 trillion. The Inflation Reduction Act, over $400 billion. I intentionally, if you're watching this, I intentionally put the zeros on there so that you could see how crazy these numbers look. I mean, we're talking about a whole lot of dough here. So in any case, um, moving on. I gotta be careful to get fired up. I'm still hung up on the the PAL press conference here. Inflation, it's exasperated. I, we keep talking about people's income and where the money comes from. So M2 money supply is at this point, the government pushing too much money into the system. You see, uh, here's, a, here's just kind of a little chart, personal income. You see that big spike that happened in March of 21. That was from the Inflation Reduction Act. That was a huge injection of money giving you know every citizen like $1,400. That was a massive increase. So all of these little variations are what, here, let me go backwards here, are what created this massive increase in our money supply. And what's scary is you see on this chart of M2 money supply, we see how it's starting to roll over. It's really small. If you, you probably can't see it on the screen. It's starting to roll over. It's been flat this year. That's phenomenal news. That's the inflation slowly starting to dry up. The problem though is if we still have you know, trillion plus dollars of money that haven't even entered the system, how is that going to continue to exasperate the problem? Are we festering the wound? Are we still picking at that scab on our knee and we're not letting the inflation thing heal? We just keep throwing money at inflation problems. 
Um, so how do you deal with inflation, right? And so the, the current policy of the government is there's two ways to deal with inflation, right? There's what's called demand destruction. And so that's what we're doing. So the current administration, the Federal Reserve, everybody feels that if we can get people to want to buy less stuff and do less things, then we can slow the dollars chasing the goods, therefore bringing down inflation. So that's considered demand destruction. The way that we do that is we try to make the cost of goods and services ironically more expensive. And so the Federal Reserve is in the process of increasing rates. In fact, the chart I'm showing you right now the Fed's just increased rates. So I've got the Fed funds right here at 3%. It's basically 4% now. But the whole point of them raising rates is you look at like mortgages going from 3% to 7%. What does that do? It means people are going to buy less houses. Hey, if all of a sudden a car loan was free last year and now a car loan costs 6%, guess what? People are going to buy less cars. And so the whole premise of increasing rates is to slow the velocity of money to destroy the demand. Now, there's another kind of economic approach here, and that's called supply expansion. Remember, the, the, the problem is there's too many dollars chasing all the goods. So if we could increase the goods, we could, in fact, sop up some of those dollars, also bringing down the inflationary pressures. The problem is, is that's a policy that the current government does not like. The Federal Reserve does not like that. And the premise is, is what you would do is you would deregulate companies for the moment. You would lower corporate tax liabilities for the moment. The whole premise is ramp up production, make things, get as much stuff out into the system as possible so that way people can sop it up with all of the extra dollars. Um, at the moment, the government is solely focused on demand destruction. Uh, naturally, supply chain things from COVID and whatnot are, are also exasperating issues of inflation. But the main cause is, is we injected too much money into the system. We had too much fun. We spent too much money. We had a party. And now we're paying the bill pretty heftily. But I, once again, I feel that these are all kind of self-inflicted wounds because if the government was focusing on the money supply, focusing on how to control the money supply, then they'd probably be taking very different policies with rates and things like that. All right. So another hot topic. I hear this one constantly from our clients. It's the high gas prices. Now it's ironic. It's, it's mainly here in California. If you go anywhere else, gas is a smoking deal. I was just in Florida. Gas was uh, $3 and 15 cents. Tana in Texas. I always joke. She told us a, a few weeks ago on the show that she was paying $2 and 88 cents. Granted here at the old 76 station on the corner right behind me, you know, the garbage gas is still $6.50 a gallon. And so why is gas so expensive? Well, it's a lot. What everyone has to remember is the way that gas pricing works is it has nothing to do with right now. It is not today. It's the expectation of what things are in the future. And so when, when President Biden came into office, he kind of ran on a platform of we're going to try to have a war on fossil fuels. We're, I mean, there's plenty of quotes. You can all go Google all the, the sound clips of him telling that young person and whatnot that he's going to destroy fossil fuels. That rhetoric disincentivizes the industry from wanting to reinvest and do things that will grow the industry. Day one on the job, President Biden canceled the Keystone Pipeline. Now, I know what the debate is. People are going to say, Mike, there was no oil flowing through the Keystone Pipeline. And you are totally correct. But remember, it has nothing to do with today. It has to do with the future. It has to do with 
What kind of supply access capabilities do we think we might have in six months, 12 months, 18 months, five years down the road? That's what governs and controls the price of fuel, um, oil and gas. Um, obviously, the overregulation that's been happening has closed refineries, reduced our refining capacity. It's really disincentivized us. So what's amazing is if you're watching the show and you're looking at this chart, this is a five-year ch chart of gas prices. And from 2008, I, obviously I could go back further, but from 2018 to 2021, what was gas doing if you're looking at this? It was going down. It was trending down and, and, and steadily going down because the production of oil was ramping up in that time period. Um, and then the red line, the red arrow rather, that shows where, um, you know, 2021, where the president changed offices, we had a new president come in. Because what's the rhetoric been on gas lately? Is all we hear is it's Putin's fault, it's the war's fault, it's all of these external factors. Well, what we did on this chart is we put the blue arrow. The blue arrow shows where the actual war, the invasion began um, in February of 2022. But from January of 21 to the end of the year, December of 2021, oil, gas prices had already gone up 45%. Long before the war, about six weeks before the war even got into full swing or anyone knew it was really going to happen kind of a thing. You can see on the far right side of this chart, you can see all of a sudden then there was some much bigger spikes in the fuel prices. You know, that was because of the Putin. That was the exasperation of the issue. But the reality is gas was already up almost 50% in a year. And you say, well, why would that be? Generally, it's because of policy. It's because of the things that we're talking about. It's because as the industry, the energy industry looks into the future and says, we're canceling pipelines. Uh, the, the government wants to overregulate us and hassle us and make sure that we're not, they want to pound us out of existence. Well, what does that do? That, that puts a fear of supply in the future, driving prices up. The other thing I noted on here was Afghanistan. Now, this is kind of an interesting caveat. It has nothing to do with the economy, technically. It has to do with my opinion. Now, if anybody certainly wants to email me and have a, a more in-depth conversation about what I'm talking about today, because I'm obviously being rather pointed about all of this, I'm more than happy to do that with you. But obviously, I'm trying to take this from a very informational standpoint. But one of the things I can say about Afghanistan is I was in the military. You know, I, uh, I was a cavalry scout in the army. I trained people to go overseas and do desert warfare. Um, and one of the things that is pretty common sense in the military is that if you had to pull out, you had to exit an area, the way that you do that is you get all of the civilians out first. You then roll back your hard equipment, all of your stuff. Remember, the taxpayers bought all this stuff. You roll back all of your resources, supplies, equipment, and then the equipment is leaving with the, the troops and the boots on the ground. And so what happened in Afghanistan? It was a real, we'll say, mess. The government pulled out all the military feet, the troops first, and then they said, oh, crud, we screwed something up. We got to go back in, try to fish out all the civilians. We left all of our equipment there. Maybe we should go back in and bomb it. It was a blithering train wreck. And then what happened is within literally a matter of weeks, Putin started lining all of his tanks and military up on the border of Ukraine. Afghanistan was the catalyst that probably allowed Putin to get into Ukraine. And so it really is amazing when you talk about gas prices is how 
Afghanistan in your mind really has no direct connection to it, but it probably was one of the larger catalysts that really puts us to where we are today. And so once again, this is all governmental policy. What's amazing, what's amazing about the, the government's job, right? The government has a duty to deal with things, right? Uh, foreign relations, the economy, inflation, border security. What's funny is right now, if you think about it, if you pick your poison, pick any one of those things, pick inflation, pick the economy, pick the border, pick, pick whatever you want. And then you can go ahead and add the word crisis to the back of it, because that's really where all of these things are, right? We have an inflation crisis. We have an economic crisis. We, we've got a border crisis. We have a foreign relation crisis is all over the place at the moment. Everything seems to be in crisis. It is, it is very fascinating how we got to this position in such a short period of time. See, the way that I look at it is President Biden, when he came into office, all he had to do was sit on his hands. If he had sat on his hands and been quiet, I, in my mind, believe that Biden would probably be governing over the best economy ever. Because remember, the vaccines were coming out. The economy was reopening, coming off of a very strong economy in the end of 19 and beginning of 2020. All you had to do was sit back and let it work its magic. Instead, the government decided to say, we need to massively expand the government, massively regulate and try to hassle all of this to death. And they spent too much money. They broke the back of inflation, shot it up like a missile. Because remember, all that spending that happened in the beginning of 21, finally manifested in October of 2021. Takes about six months to really get in the system and create havoc. Um, you know, and then the Fed had to get involved to try to deal with the inflationary mess that the government probably just created with all of the excessive spending. And here we are today in just chaos, chaos, chaos. Kind of furthermore, once again, kind of helping my clients understand why their fuel prices here locally are so high, because obviously there's a lot of people upset about this. Here's U.S. oil production. You see, you know, from 18 to 2020 and production was increasing exponentially. It was booming. At the same time, remember coming back to the previous chart, gas prices were falling and then COVID hit. No fault of anybody. We're not, I'm not pointing the finger. I don't care if you're, what political belief you have. COVID was a mess. We all know that. Oil production fell off a cliff because guess what? Nobody was driving. No one was flying. No one was going anywhere. And then it's come back. But as you can see here, we haven't come back. We're, we're still well below where we were pre-COVID. We're not producing the same oil, more oil. We're producing less oil. That's problematic when you want to know why your fuel prices are high. On top of it, this is actually where the more important catalyst is. U.S. refinery capacity has been reducing a lot. In fact, since 2020 to now, we are down a million barrels a day of refinery capacity. This is the real problem. This is the linchpin that's holding our prices high, is we can't pr produce the stuff. Now, granted, the government keeps coming out saying, why don't these oil companies open up more refineries? But if you feel that there's a war on your industry and the government wants you to fix it right now, hey, drop $50 billion to quickly put up a refinery, magically uh, produce a bunch of ga gas to get the prices down, knowing that once things have normalized, we're still going to try to put you out of business. Would you do that? Would you spend that money? Probably not. 
not a good business model right now. So there's really no new refinery capacity coming online. In fact, it's been shrinking. And this is very problematic for the United States. And then obviously what happens is all of these catalysts cause the market to crash because we spent too much money, right? We overinflated the economy. That money is unwinding out of the economy. The Fed is now doing demand destruction by raising rates extremely aggressively. They've never really raised them this aggressively before. I mean, obviously, there's the Volcker conversation back in the, the 80s and whatnot. But the reality is, is we're kind of in some uncharted waters here. I did a, a thing a few weeks ago, a month ago, talking about why we see the bottom in the stock market for the fourth quarter. You know, good earnings, midterms, inflation starting to kind of normalize a little bit. Um, and that would drive the markets up. But still, the reality is things are temperamental. Um, and problematic. And the goal of, of today's show was to try to be informational. I, I have no criticism of, of one side or the other. I feel that, uh, you know, politics can get uh, extremely volatile and divisive on both sides. I like to live kind of in the middle. I, uh, but I just wanted to make sure that my clients and the people that view these things have a little better understanding of kind of the why behind the scenes of, of what are those decisions that are really impacting us. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the government can do things that will improve these situations. Hopefully the government does get inflation under control. Hopefully the government can have a, a reasonable realization that fossil fuels aren't going anywhere. Right. If you look at any kind of like they, they do these models out of 30, 40, 50 years. And the reality is in all models, the use of oil and natural gas don't go down. What happens is there's a massive increase in renewables, which is fantastic. The problem is, is you have to realize these two things have to work together. The renewable technology just is not there. The battery storage capacity just is not there yet. It will be in time because we're smart, ingenious people. But we have more work to do. And so we have to use the resources that we have. You have to remember too, there's a lot of this world that does live in much more poverty than the United States. Those people want to bring their citizens, their economies up. They want to make a middle-class society. They're not giving up fossil fuels. The demand for these things are certainly there. Um, but in any case, you know, I'm just rambling at this point. Like I said, uh, interesting day with the old stock market, the, the government's talking, we got earnings, we got midterms next week. There's a lot of moving parts. I hope I haven't bothered anybody with my conversation here today. Obviously, if you would like to talk to me, feel free to call the office 805-500-7035. If you want to have a, um, you know, if you, if you be more comfortable emailing me, I'm Michael at the Lynn group. But be more than happy to spitball any of this stuff, share my research or opinions with anybody. Otherwise, I hope everybody has a great day and we'll be back next week. Hopefully, Tan will be back in action. Thank you for listening to The Wealth Puzzle. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Michael Mansfield at The Lind Group. Call 805-500-7035 or visit them online at thelindgroup.com. 
All matters discussed during this show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Fee-based financial planning and investment advisory services are offered by the Lynn Group Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of California. Insurance products and services are offered through the Lynn Group LLC. The Lynn Group LLC and the Lynn Group Advisors LLC are not affiliated companies. Lynn Group LLC, the Lynn Group Advisors LLC, and Michael Mansfield are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency.